Hello, and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. This is my little independently put together podcast about the music business and about those people who I know and who I am currently meeting up with who work in the music business. I chat to everybody about their jobs, about how they got into the business, about what their interests are, what their motivations are, how they got to where they are today, any advice that they've got to help those out there who want to make a career out of the music business. This week's episode is with Dominique Fraser, the founder and creative director at the Boiler Room Music Venue down in Guildford. I was put in touch with Dominique via a mutual friend of ours, so this is another one of those episodes where this was the very first time I'd ever spoken to, met Dom, and it was a really lovely chat. She was really open, honest about life running a music venue, about all the things that are great about running a music venue, and all the things that are really hard about running a music venue. She also chatted about the governing bodies and those kind of things that surround the the music venue uh, scene. She also touched on a little bit of her time in the teaching sector, as well as some of the bits and pieces that she does creatively in the bands that she's worked with. It was a really interesting and fun conversation, especially uh, for me. Live music is the area that I know the least about, so I'm always fascinated to hear from those who work in this area. So without further ado, here is my conversation with founder, creative director of The Boiler Room music venue, Dominique Fraser. I saw BIM on the CV. So yeah. which BIM and how did you find that? Because I'm guessing, did you take on a module completely? It wasn't guesting. It was you came in and you taught for the full 25 odd weeks. Yeah, I um, I made it about halfway through, I think. So I was in Brighton mm-hmm. and I did the um, it's like legal and licensing part of right. event management. But the course only... I think it was in its second year or first year. Okay. And so what they'd done with the course actually is I think they had had the music business course and the same person that had written that kind of taken a few of those elements and put them into the a kind of event management course. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what, what I ended up doing was I ended up finding that I was writing a lot of the course um, content right. every week mm-hmm. to make it relevant. Okay. Because... Um, because my knowledge is so practical based, I um, struggled a little bit with the fact that it was a lot of kind of, it was more music business than it was event management, if you see what I mean. Okay. So what's the, for in, me- In your head, what's the, what's the separation? What, what was- Well, event management is you, you know, in, in my, in the space that I um, kind of, uh, live in mm-hmm. now I have up to 300 people 
who are customers whose safety is my responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and that needs to be taught from my point of view, it kind of in the first instance, when you are getting into any kind of public facing um, event management, uh, I suppose, event management subject, or, you know, degree or whatever. Um, and so we look, we looked at things like risk assessments, right? We looked at things like, and it sounds like super dry. <laughs> You're like, wow. Yep. Okay. I'm, I'm with and you. I teach music publishing. So Okay, yeah. So, so one of the first things I did was like, I said to them, how many of them have part time jobs? And most of them put their hands up. And I said, how many of them have seen risk assessments for the place that they work in? So I asked, I kind of led them basically, mm -hmm. slightly to where I wanted them to be, which was to highlight that they probably were completely unaware of the risks that they have at work. Right. Um, and I was saying as an event manager, and especially a venue owner, there is no uh, there's nowhere else that you can go. The the kind of um, the buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. So, in my venue, I have to be aware of all the risks at all the time, all the time. So with um, with my team, we're constantly making sure that the space is safe to accommodate the kinds of um, gig goer that we're going to have in. Mm -hmm. um, so so at BIM. We looked a lot at that. We looked a lot at licensing and how that for licensing objectives, you know, premises license, temporary events notices. We looked at um, kind of all the real practical knowledge that you need to really get your head around mm -hmm. when you're either, if you're going into a venue as a promoter, you need to be aware of. Um, and then I scared them all and shocked them by showing the YouTube video. Have you ever seen that YouTube video of like the worst club fire ever? No. It's brutal it's um I, I probably actually should google it now because i can't remember where it was it's in america yes. and basically what, what they did they had a band um and the band decided to like put on some pyrotechnics oh the way through um, their set. white yes yeah, yeah what well, the band name i know exactly which um, one you mean yes yeah so i showed them that um uh but yeah, I should, I'm just having a look at it on Google. I'll have a look. Yeah. Uh, the station, I think it's the station nightclub. Um, yeah, including the Great White Guitarist. Great White, yeah, that the was station. It, yes. it's, it's yeah, it's a station nightclub, and 100 people killed. And so I, sh I showed them this video because it's a firefighter who's filming it, and you, you've probably seen it where he starts walking backwards. And you, we looked at it, and we were like, "What? What went wrong?" We looked at the fact that the doors had been locked so that people couldn't get in. We looked at the fact that the band hadn't told them they were going to use pyrotechnics on stage. We looked at um, the fact that the wrong, there was, I think, not the right fire retardant right. Um, um, materials in mm -hmm. the space as well, and how it was handled as well, and the point of exit, and we took look, traffic egress. You know, it was kind of all the sort of, I suppose, for me, I find it, um, I don't want to say sexy because it seems like <laughs> the wrong word, <laughs> but it's, it's for that, that stuff is more interesting for me, uh -huh. um, I suppose, because I'm interested in that, yeah. than necessarily the, the kind of pomp that come, you know, that comes with maybe I don't know, like what artists have you got playing, or you know, all of that stuff is super cool, and I and I love it. I love all the artists that come through, but I really enjoy the, the kind of nuts and bolts of putting on a. How event. did How did you find the, I guess the, the 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 transition between just doing it on a daily basis to kind of standing up in front of people who want to do 
do it on a daily basis and imparting the knowledge in in that way did you find it hard was it uh, an interesting experience um, no it was it was i really enjoyed it because um a lot of the guys that i worked with they were really uh, it was really sweet actually a lot of them were really gutted that i left because they were saying they'd gotten so much advice and i suppose kind of tangible mm -hmm. knowledge that they could apply um, and contextualize quite quickly with what they were wanting to do yep. we talked a lot about who's responsible for what in a venue right so um if you go into a venue and, and it could be because obviously when you want to do event management you might want to do weddings and conferences you don't always want to no. put on yeah event management in a grimy is... grimy yeah. yeah grimy little bar somewhere it yep, could yep. be really really corporate but this, exactly the same rule, kind of rules apply, really, mm -hmm. that you need to know what you're responsible for um, because it, it can come back to you and bite you on the bum really quickly. We, we've had two people um, try and fail to sue us here at the venue. Right. Um, and, and that was through their, their own negligent behaviour, but they wanted to try and uh, kind of blame it on us and see if they could win, get some money from us. Okay. Um, and they didn't. But in the process, the premium of our insurance went up right. astronomically. Is that bands that were playing or is that kind of private hire people? Uh, you obviously customer, don't have to say who it was. Yeah, one customer and one artist. Right. And uh, one customer that was very, very drunk and one artist that had um, set their equipment up incorrectly and then tripped over their own equipment. Are you finding that there's a little bit, is, is there a, the, the, the dark cloud of litigation hanging more over the over the sector now I, I know it's a lot of people will say that it's, you know it's a very american thing this idea mm. of if something goes wrong it's always somebody else's fault is that happening or are you trying to have it, are you having to think about that in much more detail kind of ex expecting it to happen more and more or i think kind of... i think it's yeah i i, I would say it, at grassroots music venue level where i'm at um it's so um, the variables are so um, extreme because I um, I also visit lots of venues because my husband's an artist, so I go on tour with him. Right. And you you re you really see the disparity between um, the standards, really. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go into to one venue and it can it can seem you know very um, well put together, and then you you know, and this is actually quite sad, <laughs> but I look in a lot of cleaning cupboards in in venues because i'm always interested to see uh how people look after their chemicals where they put their cleaning products mm -hmm. because obviously i just want to learn so that my venue can, can do well you know and, and be a safe space mm -hmm. and it's unbelievable like some of the things people do how stuff is stored or um yeah it's just very surprising mm -hmm. very surprising that how un safe some places are right um so yeah going going back to your question i think um i i did a graduate diploma in law like a gdl and that helped me to just become a bit more knowledgeable right on on just life i think everyone should have a basic understanding of their rights yeah. i mean <laughs> i don't understand why it's probably not taught maybe more in schools um you know this is probably why the country's in a bit of a mess at the moment is because we're not taught to be creative thinkers because yeah, you yeah. can't teach someone to be a creative thinker you have to just allow them to be a creative thinker yeah. as opposed to being force-fed information
fascinating that you're kind of, when you're out on tour, you're looking at, I guess, your competitors, maybe? No, definitely not competitors. Okay. No, we're, 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 we're my comrades. <laughs> we're we're nice. all in the we're all in the same you know we're all in the same boat we're all like mm-hmm. you know we're all fighting the same fight yeah. we all we're definitely not competition we want to we all want the same thing we want to be able to survive we want to provide a legacy mm-hmm. so when I'm not here I'd like this space to still continue as as a as a creative space yeah and we want to create a culture not just around um the music that we program but actually around the venue and that's like one of the biggest things that i think any grassroots music venue um probably achieves that it doesn't really get the kudos that it should do um is that the culture that we create means that people who may be on the edges of society shall we say mm-hmm. um might see somewhere like the boiler room or see the people that work at the boiler room or the people that program here and kind of go oh they they look different mm-hmm. <laughs> you know or they've got tattoos or they they um have piercings or i don't know what, what whatever whatever it is and yeah. they say oh that might be somewhere that i can go and feel safe or somewhere that i can explore who i am in a space that is going to encourage me and not judge me i can't imagine going somewhere yeah. that doesn't have kind of music yeah. playing or doesn't have any kind of signposting to any kind of creative or alternative scene I guess mm-hmm. and that that was me that was me from like 14 15 years old that's that's what I did yeah, listening yeah. to jukeboxes in pubs and really enjoyed listening to like retro heritage music that because that inspired me so you know yeah I, I think that's what the boiler room does it because we've got an all-age license people can come here from okay well you know eight years old is the youngest person I think we've had play on the stage nice um and we have uh, a chap who's 14, 15 that does our lights. Nice. Some some nights who's autistic. We have um, DJs with fair, various like different additional needs who are who are young that we will awesome. work with on certain nights. We have a youth development program um, for young people who want to get into music. We do shadowing with our engineers. We just basically are a gateway for people to learn about wanting to wanting to kind of work in music. But you don't have to be academic. And mm-hmm. that's a big difference, I think, because yeah. a lot of people who are creative aren't necessarily academic. For those of us who don't know, are you able to talk a little bit about what the Boiler Room is, uh, what you do differently to other grassroots venues, and some of the things that you've been implementing and are quite uh, really, really kind of pr- proud of in the what the decade and a bit that you've been part of the part of the team over there. Yeah. Um, so the boiler room is a cultural space in Guildford. Mm-hmm. We our capacity is just under three hundred. We have um, we are fully accessible. We were the we were the hundredth venue to be awarded um, the bronze charter for Attitude Is Everything, uh, which cool. is cool. Um, so we're we're really accessible. Um, we have spaces that are ancillary to the venue that are um, studio spaces. So we have okay. a tattoo studio that has three tattoo artists. We have two fine artists. We have a hack space, or it's called Surrey and Hampshire Maker Space. 
we have um, a studio outside as well, and that has um, a chap who's a music programmer in it. Um, we it formerly had a jeweler, and before that had a screen printer. And then wow. we also have a pizzeria um, in our garden as well. So that's kind awesome. of like our footprint. And within that, within all of those spaces, we are constantly, I suppose, working with each other, supporting each other in, in different and various events that we do. So. We have, um, last night we had Pint and Pictures on, which is a photography club. We do right. um, drawing um, drawing classes as well, drink and draw, where you can come down and we have illustrators. We have about 30 people come to that once a month. We have um, um, meditation as well. So we do a lot okay. of community uh, events. And then we have all of our, our kind of music-based events, which are kind of gigs that will range every, anything from oh, all the genres, I mean, that you can kind of imagine the mm -hmm. only one is not it's not classical which okay. we would we'd love to do more of. we'd love to do more classical here but i okay. think there's a little bit of 2020 yeah i think with a lot of i don't know i just think maybe we need to kind of try and meet halfway and get some classical artists that want to come and, want, and be in, in a venue space like this that would be really cool that's I what i'd like to some, do. something that i talk to a lot of young people about now is this idea that Everybody's into everything mm. musically now. When I, when um, I was at Reading or Download or any of those festivals back in the late nineties, early noughties, you were all in your camps. You were yeah. in your little genre cliques, and now everybody's kind of no. I listen to a bit of this and a bit of this, and the music is saying that. So maybe there is definitely room for crossover nights and trying to not force but push certain different genres over to other people and and it sounds like venue like yourselves that's kind of you've added so much more to the to the portfolio yeah i, I think guess, than just a room that people play music in or play live music in and so there's so totally. much stuff that you're sort of playing around with in there that it sounds like a kind of an amazing project that you've been developing over over years and years and years yeah it's for me, a, a big, huge part of what we do here is um, the kind of experience for our customers is uh, so important that from the moment they walk in the door, they feel welcome and mm -hmm. feel like they're in a space where they're going to have a good time. And we just had, um, actually, and it's important for the artists too, so we just had Snap Tankles play a couple of days ago. Right. Uh, which was a sellout show and the drummer came up to me and was like honestly like the vibe here is like off the chart she said it's everyone is so friendly it's it's really it's, it's yeah she was just just really kind of like taken back with mm -hmm. how everyone's kind of looking out for each other and i always make point of if I'm working I'll always be on the door as people come in or I always will exit okay. bar myself if I'm working right um because I always want to be like thank you have a safe journey home come again hi thank you yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. like great night well Dom yeah loved it great great gig thank you thank you thank you so it's like um I think that's what that's what grassroots music venues do is that we just I think we just care because we're not in it for the money because <laughs> there isn't any money nice. in it <laughs> we're, we're in it but because it, you know it's a lifestyle choice it sounds like you're you're really acutely aware of your place in the the kind of the community yes 
and you are you're not taking that for granted you're actually quite the opposite you're kind of saying no we've got a place in this community and I'm guessing something else that I wanted to touch on is the uh, the issues that grassroots venues have been suffering from around the country over the past few years and you're kind of saying well if we can make sure that we are a significant voice a significant part of this industry then that enables us to continue for as long as possible it's not just a, a, a room, a box with a stage in it for gigs to happen. It's so much more than that. It's a community space. It's for people to meet new people. It's for people to learn new things. It's for people to, as you pointed out, to, to feel safe. Not mm-hmm. just that thing that opens at 7pm and shuts at 1 or 2. What's, what's your specific role? So I at the venue. Yeah, so I am uh, I'm the director. I am yes. the founder. I nice. I am the responsible person. Um <laughs> I'm high priestess. I um you know, like I believe very much here in um I don't know the actual terminology, but kind of like horizontal sort of um team dynamic. Okay. And the fact we're all working together. Obviously, yeah. I am ultimately responsible for this space. Um, mm-hmm. But there is no one that is above anyone else. That's not that's no. not my vibe. I, I don't okay. um, I don't like it. I if I'm working or if I'm down, I will always help out. I'll, I I'll clean the toilets at the end of the night if I'm here to help the guys out, or I will pick up fag butts from out the front. It's kind of like you. You have to inspire people to want to work in a space like this because the music totally inspires them, obviously. Mm-hmm. But a lot of venues can't afford to pay people lots and lots of money. So they need to feel like they are part of a, a bigger picture. And they mm-hmm. need to feel like they're valued, and not just as a body that stands behind the bar or that books or that, you know, they, they need to feel like they're part of something. So yeah. that, that's what we try and do here. We, you know, we don't always get it right but I'd say most of the time people that work here feel like we're we're kind of family and actually over the 13 years that we've been open I'm pretty you know pretty much everyone that's worked here I'm still I still know or I'm still friends with you know and mm-hmm. what I was saying to you actually about this this culture that we create I'd say mostly 80% of people that worked here it might even be higher have gone on to other jobs within music and so we're all still friends except they now were one of them you know just thinking a guy that left a a couple of years ago is an agent um another friend of mine who left many many years ago went on to um work at the old blue last and he opened a place called birthdays in london and now he works with um the old blue last beer and um and i remember when um he first started working here um you know a lot of stuff that was new to him so i kind of see Mm -hmm. And I think they would say the same too, that the boiler room is like a place to just try everything out, <laughs> try promoting, see, see, you know, where you want to be within, within the music space, the music industry. So we've had people yeah, yeah. who have gone on to start labels. We've had labels who have had offices here. We've had people go on to work in radio, um, become marketing 
managers at labels and and all sorts of artists we've got loads of session um people that were session musicians that have gone on to be in, in quite well-known bands and it's it's really nice it's like one big family and i think mm-hmm. i mean and a funny story is i was uh away on monday just gone and i went to wales and went with my friend who also is from Guildford, who now runs all of the events at PRS. And so we went up to Wales because her dad rides, um, he drives steam trains. So we're on the steam train in Wales, in a tiny little Welsh village, driving a steam train, having the best time ever. Went to a pub in the evening, played some ball, got chatting to someone there, asked me, you know, what I was, what I did, why I was in Wales, etc. And I was like, oh, I run a venue, blah, blah, blah. And he said, what venue? And I like, oh, boiler room. And he was like, oh, I've played there. I was like, no, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, a band called Gallop. Like three years ago, and and I and I shit you not, I've also had that happen to me in Thailand. I've been in Joshua Tree in California. I've Amazing. met someone who's played at the Boiler Room. It, it's kind of like it, the the butterfly effect of grassroots music venues like the Boiler Room, and we're not mm-hmm. unique in this. I'm not like, oh wow, we're just so yeah, yeah. we're the only ones that do this. We all do this. Every single venue yeah, does yeah. this, and that that's the like that's the effect. Well, look, I met you through Jen, mm-hmm. who is from who was studying in Guildford years and years ago, who I've known for many years and so on and so forth. And yeah, it's yeah. like, it's just nice. It's just nice to have a lot of people out there who are all, who have all got the same, the, the kind of same ethos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I love about, I'm going to go with certain areas of the music industry. Not all mm. of it. Certain areas. It's one of the things that I loved, loved, loved about being in music supervision and in the synchronization aspect bit of music publishing and, and record labels. Because I just I felt that camaraderie, that community there as well. Mm. I can't comment on any other areas of the business. You, but I think you know, yeah. you, you gravitate to those to those areas and you want to stick especially, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier. You're not com- you don't have competitors, you have contemporaries, you have other people that are all in the same boat as you. You're not trying yeah. to step over one another, you're all, you're all kind of in it together, I guess. If everybody wins, then the whole, then everybody wins kind of thing. Exactly, you, and you, obviously you get careerists in, in all walks of life. You get people who are, you know, blinkered to you know, whatever there is that's driving them, whether it's money or whether it's mass adulation or, you know, mm-hmm. of course, not everyone I've ever met has been amazing <laughs> and, you know, and and, <laughs> and humble uh, and kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. You do get people who aren't on the same vibe as you or have lost their way a little bit. And you kind of, what we do is our, our, our thing here, our motto is just fill them with kindness. Mm-hmm. Is don't, don't rise to, don't rise to it. Be kind, have joy in your heart. Be, you know, be a nice person, and hope that. And it always happens is that by the end of a Excellent. show or by the end of it, they kind of go, "Oh yeah, no, I was probably being a complete arsehole, wasn't I?" And you're like, "Dude, it's all good." <laughs> <laughs> no, surely exactly. not. Yeah. So, so you decided in 2006. You founded. You found a space and put what is the boiler room as is now together mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah. how was that um, terrifying hard work was yeah. there something there to 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 start with or was it a complete blank slate and you were going right i've got an idea here let's see how it all goes it was 
literally all of the above. And uh, all of those thoughts and comments you've just said, I think I probably thought at, at any, you know, any time during the process. Um, yeah, so before, before we set up, I was running a, um, I was like a creative editor of a music magazine with mm -hmm. my friend Chris. And Chris went on to work at Deepster Records and then went on to another label and is now like um, manager of Take That, like their day manager he works for or something, okay. something like that. And right. um, so Chris and I, Chris helped me because we were like running a music magazine and we were putting on shows um, in various places like Purple Turtle in London. We were, we were doing stuff at the Joiners in Southampton and we were, we were putting on shows everywhere. And So you uh, were as, as promoters? Yeah, as promoters yeah. and going out as DJs as well because we had okay. the magazine and we just decided that we could do something here in Guildford. Guildford used to have the Civic Hall and that had gone and there's no space other than the star, which is quite a small space um, for artists to play. So the pub. Are you from the area? Yeah. So yeah. I am, um, I have a daughter that's 21. And so I wanted to be in, stay in this area to be near my family. Yeah. And um, as you can imagine, being a single parent and deciding to open a venue. So Rosie was about seven, six years old at the time. Right. <laughs> so needless to say, a lot of her after school spent uh, in sound checks and um, uh, generally for a six, seven year old. Yeah. Running around, running around the, drag, the venue. I'll, I'll drag. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about when I can start dragging my five year old to, to yeah. shows and stuff like that. Exactly. So for me, Guildford <laughs> is somewhere that I wanted to, to, to be, to stay in uh, because my family is here and they've been really helpful with, with my daughter with me. Um, so, yeah, so we came in and this, this was a really, it, the space that we are in is an old Victorian pub. So it dates back to 1897 right. and it used to be called the Elm Tree and then it was a tap and spile. And so we took on in about I think it was about six months. We did lots of work, did lots of soundproofing, built a stage. We nearly built the stage in the wrong place because we didn't allow enough room for a drum kit. I mean, that's how right. that's how green I was when I first started doing okay. this. And it was my friend Chris who was like, I don't think you're going to have room for a drum kit if you put the stage there. And we were like, oh, okay, yeah, no, let's, let's, let's put the stage there. And we put the stage where it is now. And there were two lovely steals right in front of the stage right in the middle and they were there for the first probably five years until right. we had enough money to get rid of them and put a big rsj goalpost and open mm -hmm. up the stage and over the last 13 years we've done a few extensions and we've kind of made as much space as we can to get more people in Uh, going back to your question about challenges, is that yes. had two uh, two license reviews, and they were brought about by neighbours complaining about noise. Right. So that was, I probably would say, one of the most horrific times of my life. Is that something that is always there? It's always in the back of your head, thinking. And you know the the whole agent of change stuff that's going on, and the issues that a lot of 
venues in, you know, I'm, I'm in Bristol and the Thecla goes through it pretty much yeah. annually. Uh, you know, places like Club Eferbach in Cardiff mm. as well has had the, the same sort of issues. Is that for, for, for you, for venues at that level, are you always thinking we're one step away? one one license review away from this if we don't stay on top of it yeah now, now we've yes definitely if we don't stay on top of it for sure i mean the neighbors would complain instantly if we weren't on top of it for sure um do we have a uh, we call it a duty manager phone we have a phone that the residents have the number of so that they can call us or text us bright red in a yeah in a thing <laughs> Just yeah like yeah. yeah basically <laughs> um we have really like robust noise policy. We, well, if you look at um, the Music Venues Trust, which uh, was set up, I think around about the time of our license review. Yes. Um, I was, um, yeah, we we, start, we we had some new people move in and it was, yeah, it was just a very brutal time because it, it just got worse and worse and worse and it was a bit like it felt like a bit of a witch hunt um nice. it felt like it felt like just neighbors neighbors were just um kind of started getting together and started kind of feeling like they maybe had a bit of momentum and yeah. um and yeah it was oh, i was really ill i was like really really ill for quite a long okay. time because i think the problem is is a lot of music venues get kind of like lumped in with the nighttime economy so right. the nighttime economy will encompass like clubs bars you know the nighttime economy in any town yeah. so our cultural value or significance isn't really kind of like valued or acknowledged in any way and right. so it, it can be really challenging when it's oh this this happens on saturday night at two in the morning oh it's probably people from the boiler room yeah, oh, it's yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's probably them. Yeah, it's probably them. The glasses are smashed up there. We don't even have glass. I've had I've had people, you know, bring it, bring me like four or five glass pint glasses. Oh, you, we found these up the road, and I'll say, great. We don't we don't have glasses. We have polycarb, and it, it can be, it can be really tough because sometimes, yeah, people just don't appreciate the fact that the lengths that venues like mm -hmm. us go to. We have a dispersal policy. Um, we try and make sure that we don't cause a disturbance to anybody. We can't guarantee that 100% of the time. And we can't guarantee yeah. that we won't ever make any noise. I can't guarantee that someone is not going to read the sign on our fire exit door that says, please don't go out of this door. It's only for emergencies only when a band's playing. And they're just going to go, oh, I'm going to go out the garden, walk out the door. And that means yeah. that obviously the noise then escapes from the building. It happens quite rarely because we normally put a member of staff there to stand there to watch that. But... It, it's, it comes from a place of, um, I think, neighbours can get the wrong idea that you don't give a shit and that we're just trying to make money and we don't care about them. And what, yeah. we've, worked, what we've really worked hard on over 13 years is to kind of go, look, we, are, we care as much about your, your um, quality of life as we care about the venue staying here. So we go above and beyond to make sure that we are not causing you any disturbance mm -hmm. and there has to be a bit of tolerance because 
the house next to the venue is rented. And so, you know, there is an option for those people who are renting to move if they want to. The boiler room can't move. We're here. We, there's no other space yeah, yeah. that we can inhabit. So, yeah, we, we've worked really hard. And, I, and I'd like to say that we are now friends with the people that caught that called the license review okay. and we say hi we have chats in the street we have a great time and um and i believe very much in just like letting things go i think if you hold on to mm-hmm. just to those hate and shit feelings they're just gonna yeah, they're yeah. gonna make make you a not a nice person but it was tough yeah. it was tough i honestly i like i wouldn't wish what i went through twice <laughs> on my on my worst enemy. I mean, we we were lucky. We had Ed Sheeran. I don't know if you know about this story, but Ed Sheeran, who played here three times, tweeted and said, "I hear the boiler room is like under threat because of noise issues. Please go and sign this petition." Because um, I'd set up a petition because I suddenly realised if I don't do something, I'd kept it all kind of very secret because nobody wants to in any business. You don't want to be out there and mm-hmm. go, oh, hey, guys, look, we're going to get closed down. Uh, it looks like you're failing. And I remember quite a proud person and didn't want that. So I set mm-hmm. up a petition and I thought, I'll set up this petition. And every time someone signs, you tick box and the petition gets sent to the person at licensing and it gets sent to the local councillor. So I set up the petition. I went away to Ireland to work on a festival. And I got a phone call because I was still in Ireland on the Monday morning from the licensing officer saying that they had received something like 15,000 emails over the weekend <laughs> from people signing this petition. And would I kindly stop uh, or do something so that they would stop getting emails? Um, that's, a few, and, that's a few emails in your inbox. To come oh, my, can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> and, uh, and it was great because I had the press trying to contact me um and obviously i was in ireland working on a festival quite unaware of anything that was going on and um my team here were like ed sheeran has tweeted i mean we ended up getting about twenty-four thousand signatures mm-hmm. and uh, you know some of them had come from ed as well from ed's um post but also the local community just stepped up they just said you're not you're not going to take this venue away from us we need this venue and this isn't going to happen and actually at our license review it was full the the space in the it's a a quasi-judicial hearing so it was at the council offices it was full there were over 200 people there from from local community and then they had to stream it live because the amount of people that were trying to get in and you're like it was honestly it was the most heartwarming thing. It actually makes yeah, me quite emotional. It makes me yeah. really emotional now to think, um, yeah, oh my God, I'm getting really emotional. All those people who who like were like, we love what you're doing and we don't want you to stop what you're doing. Yeah. And it, it was massive. It kind, of, it kind of vindicates everything that you've yeah. done over the past yeah. 13 years or so. Look at me. Oh my God. I'm glad this <laughs> is on te- I'm glad it's not on telly. But it's still there. It's still there that like, that hurt because you think you're doing a great job. You're like, I'm putting on music. I'm, I'm making sure that I'm doing this right and doing that. And then all of a sudden something completely out of your, out of your hand happens yeah. and, and everything you've worked hard for can be taken away quite quickly. But- mentioned in emails that we've had recently that you were at venues day 
yeah. recently. What is Venues Day and what were you doing then that meant you couldn't do this? <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I was just talking about what happened on my with my license review, um, yeah. uh, and a lot of venues had this, I felt very lonely. And there were no, then there were no bodies that existed to mm -hmm. help me, to assist me. You know, you think about other areas of the music, you've got AIM, Association yeah. of Independent Music, you've got um, Association of Independent Festivals. Um, there, there are all sorts of different bodies that exist to protect and, and um, lobby on behalf of various areas of the, the music biz. And there wasn't really one that existed for music venues. And um, Mark David, who um, and Beverly, who is who are and own Tumbridge Wells Forum in Kent, um, set up a, a trust basically that mm -hmm. provides people like myself resources. Um, there's an emergency kind of line that we can contact. And they will then put us in touch with if it's something to do with planning, licensing, um, if it's, you know, any any part of our business, you know, that might be suffering or might might be in threat or under threat, they will yeah. they will they will assist us. Um, I suppose it's like I always say to people, look at what the National Trust does. The National yeah. Trust is there to protect um, buildings of significant value. And the Music mm -hmm. Venues Trust does exactly that. And what it also does, though, is it brings um, people like myself. I'm a, like a loan director. And a lot of people that own venues and run venues either work on their own or only work with one other person. And what mm -hmm. Venues Day is, is, is great. Um, and also Independent Venue Week as well. I really want, I want to talk about Independent Venue Week. They're, they're amazing uh, body. But what Music Venues Day does and IVW is it brings us all together. It brings us together in a space in London uh, and we get to listen to panels about um, me mental health, mental well-being within our industry. Mm -hmm. We can meet um, suppliers that want to, to, you know, to showcase products that they have. They okay. have they've helped to unlock, I think, um, is it 1.5 million pounds funding from the Arts Council as well? Amazing. because. The Arts Council England was great at funding um, programs and funding audience development, but it hasn't been the best at being able to assist venues with getting funding. And now it is because it's mm -hmm. been working with Music Venues Trust. Music Venues Trust um, works with PRS on our behalf, um, and and it basically is out there looking out for people like myself and venues like ourselves. And the amount of venues that I think they've saved from closure, every single venue that they've got involved in the process, they have, they've won the process and they've, they safeguarded that venue. And that's, that's amazing. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. no longer need to feel alone as a music venue owner. And that's, that's where it should be really. Do you think, how, e how easy would it be in 2019 for someone to do what you did in 2006? Oh, so easy. I mean, I'm not bitter about it, but come on. <laughs> There's like, oh, they're ne never going to make the mistakes that I made. Oh, so like, There's like a whole flipping book that the Music Venues Trust has done. They've just written two books, how to open a grassroots music venue and how to run a okay. grassroots music venue. And I, I don't get me wrong, I did want to pour petrol over them and burn them all <laughs> so that no one 
<laughs> no one would be able. Yeah, no one would be <laughs> able to know how to do what we do. No, that is completely jokes aside. Um, there, there's there's so much help out there now. But people. is it is it finding the spaces and getting those licenses and things like the, the nitty gritty stuff? Is that still yeah. an option? Still available um, in the same way, or is it? You have to go through a few more hoops than maybe you did 13 years ago? I mean, pro- probably not in the sense it, de- it depends where you are. Like if you're, okay. in a, if you're in an area that has lots of empty space, the likelihood is you can probably get a premises license if it's not a cumulative impact area. So a cumulative impact is like, say, where there's a road and there's already five licenses, premises licenses, yeah. you know, alcohol license, et cetera. So, you, you know, you might be able to set up a space somewhere. I mean... Where I am in the south, there is no space. There are no empty buildings. Yeah. They're being they're all being used for something. The further maybe into the Midlands or north there might be more spaces, or even actually further south, um, the extremities, there probably is more space available. Um yeah. but no, I, I mean I would say you you don't go into it for the glamour, that's for sure. You know, you don't go into it for the money. <laughs> And a lot of venues have to supplement their income. And whether mm-hmm. that's with club nights, whether it's with food, whether it's with, um, you know, opening all day as a pub and then having another room that's music. A lot of venues yeah. do that. We, we, as a venue, are one room. So we only open when we have an event on. We don't open necessarily for just as a pub. Um, yeah. So, and and that's what the book is great probably at assisting people with is making sure that um they know what they're getting into because okay. it's 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 not it's not easy and there's probably a it's lot not more easy but there's assistance out there and stuff like that yeah and it's, there's probably a lot more competition a lot of pubs now put on a lot of music as well mm-hmm. so yeah i think i think you've just got to go into it with your eyes open really but it's but it's worth it it's worth it <laughs> Uh, you were on tour recently. I'm guessing yes. that's with husband. Yes. Uh, how was that? Um, I mean, I love it. I I don't know if you know pictures, but um, I do. You do. So I have to be super secretive now because I'm not really supposed to say um, what I do. But needless to say, I get to dress up and jump around on stage. Um, I crowd surf. I Excellent. Uh, I just like am free. I literally, it has taught me so much being being on the stage because I, for right. so many years of my life, I'm the person behind the scenes. And yeah. now, even, even though no one knows who I am, I get to just have the best time ever with the person that I love. So, I mean, you can't really cool. ask them on no. that. Is it is it interesting to see? I mean, you mentioned that you go in and when you're at, in other venues, you snoop around, I guess, a little bit. Is it yeah. interesting to see other venues from like the other side of of how people see festivals? You're not going into fest, you're not not festivals, uh, venues. You're not seeing venues as a punter. You're not even seeing them as an owner. You're seeing them as as the talent, as as the people who are being booked on them, and you kind of just. I guess it does it help empathize a little bit with those people who are playing at yours uh, definitely so much so i mean it um it has been eye-opening and such an amazing experience to 
But, I mean, we, we did the Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes tour. So I think we did 20 venues, I think it was, on that in February this year. And that was, you know, Scotland, Liverpool, Newcastle, Manchester, you know. And every venue I went to, I went in and said hi to the person that was in the back room typing away. And I was like, oh, mm. hi, I'm from the boiling room. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. And they were like, oh, my God, you're from the boiling Yeah, and we, you know, and... So it was really nice for me to just go, so what do you do? Oh, I see you've got cameras here. What do you do about this? Um, what do you... you know, I literally was just asking question after question. Um, but from an experience, from an artist point of view, yeah, because you, it really makes such a massive difference um, when you don't have that kind of warm welcome. And right. it, it isn't extended throughout the rest of the, the show. You know, sometimes, not saying... Uh, stereotyping here but when you get grumpy people in a venue that are kind of like sound engineers that are like yeah well, they don't even say yeah all right they don't even say hi and you think what the fuck <laughs> you know like we've <laughs> literally just traveled like four hours or three hours in the van and we're tired and mm -hmm. just a hi just like welcome to the whatever it is would be really nice and i think um people don't realize how important that is for artists that you just yeah. make the effort and show them where they can go, where the kettle is, even if you're not giving them a rider. We were only a support act, but all mm -hmm. of our support acts here, we, you know, make the effort and say, you know, oh, where have you come from? How's the tour going? Great. You know, we've got some herbal teas upstairs or would you like coffee? You know, we just, <laughs> it's just like, it's just like being a kind human, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and it's it really nice seeing is... that and it kind of gives you that extra impetus to to do it at your gaff oh yeah definitely and yeah. i hope that i pass that on to everyone that that works with me as well that i'm you know the experience like i said to you before the experience of everyone that is here is really important to me and if we if we muck it up then we just have to put our hands up and own our own shit really if we yeah, muck yeah. it up you know and, and we do get it wrong sometimes people fall through the net and then we have to apologize and make it better <laughs> What is happening or what have you got in store for 2020 that is Ooh. really, really uh, exciting for you, that you're really, really looking forward to mucking around with, to implementing, obviously that you can say, that side of stuff. Yeah. So 2020 for the Boiler Room is looking yes. super tasty. We have <laughs> um, Independent Venue Week is the last week of January going into February and mm -hmm. That week is always like killer in our diary. Um, Sybil and Chloe and Charlie who run IVW are um, such hardworking, committed individuals. It's great. It's such a celebration for us for the week to just kind of literally shout about what we do. Um, I think 2018 we had Steve Lamack come here and broadcast mm -hmm. his show live. I mean, can you imagine having someone like Steve Lamack in the boiler room for me was, I mean, I think I was just trying not to kind of cry a lot of the time because I was so <laughs> overwhelmed. Yeah. So um, IVW is big for us. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose as well, really for the venue, we are looking and super excited to be getting some new extra soundproof doors. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be great so i've just been uh, working with a couple of companies um and they're really expensive 
Yeah. They're really going to be expensive, so, um, <laughs> but they're going to be great. So we're working with a company with that and with Arts Council England. And I suppose it's just, yeah, for us, it's, it's just kind of to keep on doing what we're doing. You know, it's, um, yeah. we're, we're a really good, strong team here. And, Onwards yeah, and upwards. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Smashing. Thank you once again so much for, for giving That's me an right. hour of your of your busy time to have this weird conversation over over a video yeah. phone. It really That's means right. a lot. Uh, and yeah, um thank you so much. Get no worries. To Lovely to meet you. All right, yourself. cheers then. Cheers. Bye. 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 Massive thank you there to Dom for giving me the time. Uh, she took an hour or so out of a busy day to chat to me about this. I'm always very, very grateful and appreciative for when people do that. If you would like to check Dom out via social media, if you would like to find out more about the Boiler Room venue or any of the endeavours, businesses, governing bodies that were mentioned in the chat. Please have a look at the episode bio for all the various links. If you would like to get in touch with me, there are links in the episode bio as well. The email address, as always, is behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Really like to get emails from those who are listening with questions, with requests, you name it, please do keep them coming in. I've got a few more episodes coming up in 2019 for those of you who are listening to this live uh, and then 2020 there's a bunch of stuff that I'm mucking around with so watch this space I will be posting about things I will be mentioning as things get going but until then thank you very much for coming back and listening thank you for those who have reviewed uh, the pod on the various platforms that you can review thank you very much for those of you who have shared the podcast with others that you think might be interested in this that means a great deal please do continue to do that because that's the real the really important way of getting this stuff out there so if you know anybody who's interested in making a, a career out of the music business let them know that this exists. Thank you so much, and I'll speak to you again soon.